going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the community leaders asked him, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, uh, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the religious leaders went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we engage with your word today, we pray that you will uh, speak to our hearts and our minds and help us to better understand uh, who you are and what kind of relationship you're calling us into today. Amen. Well, we're here in the midst of uh, February, and it's that time when we are thinking about love. Some of you maybe did some exciting things for Valentine's Day, whether in a relationship or, or single, people thinking about love. And so this February, we have been talking about love in our sermon series. And if you have missed any of the messages, you can go to adventhope.org and catch up either on video or audio. By the way, I would highly recommend last week's uh, teaching, Kendra Holoviak from La Sierra University. Really privileged to have her here. If you weren't here, you can go and catch up with that message again at adventhope.org. Org. So today we're engaging with an intriguing story about uh, Jesus and also rooted in some particular understandings of the biblical law. Now, the, the law as it stands in the Bible had been given uh, primarily to Moses some 1,500 years before the story in which we're engaging with uh, today. The law was immensely practical it was designed to help establish a group of people who had spent 400 years in slavery, where they had really no, no ability to have their own independent culture, their own independent government, their own uh, independent society. And so the law was designed to help them create uh, an economy, a social structure, a judicial system, and so on. And so Moses is given by God this this instruction about how to do this, basically how to create a new society. And the, the law contained a bunch of mundane things. In fact, you can go back and read in detail. It's actually, it can be a little bit heavy, a little boring reading because it is, you know, law. I mean, there are a few, few of us here today who'd go around and re read uh, law books for fun. Uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the Bible, a lot of, lot of laws. Some of them are just mundane requirements, things like this. If your house gets some mold in it, so if your house gets some mold in it, today you call in, this is all, always a problem, it has been uh, 3,500 years ago, it is today. If you get mold in your house, it's a health hazard. And so today you call in someone and they're going to come and they're going to do a whole thing where they're going to try to get rid of the mold in your house. They didn't have that technology 
in Moses' day. And so Moses, the law on Moses says, burn it down. If, you're, if your house gets mold in it, burn it down because it's unhealthy. This is good practical advice for people who have been living as slaves for 400 years. This is, this is good, good to know, okay? That, that stuff growing in the corner of the, or in, or in the ceiling, not good. Not good for your health. Burn, burn the house down. Other things like this. Don't eat pigs. This is in, in, uh, in the law. Don't eat pigs. Uh, they are the trash compactors of the community. Again, mundane counsel. Mundane, people ask, well, why should we not eat pigs? They're so delicious. How many of you like eating pigs? No, I'm kidding. No, was it? yeah. <laughs> Good. Somebody raised their hand. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Trick question. But boom. We have cameras. They're watching. It's a good Adventist community. It's going straight to the, uh, the conference. If you're Adventist, you know what that is. Anyway, pigs, they're so delicious. Why are we not supposed to eat them? Well, the, this, pigs are the trash compactors of society. That's, they, were, they were designed. I mean, if you were in a community, I read a horrible story. Kids, close your ears. This woman somewhere in eastern New York, like last week, she was feeding her pigs. And she, did you hear this? And she, she fell. She had, had like concussion or whatever. They ate her. They ate her. That's disgusting. I'm sorry to bring that image up in your mind. You're going to think of anything else from this point forward. The idea, though, is pigs eat anything. They're, that's what they're designed to be. They're the trash compactors. And so this is mundane advice for a society that is being built literally from scratch. If you get mold, burn your house down. It's unhealthy for you. Pigs, oh, don't eat them because we need them to, to collect the trash. And they compact the trash. That's what they're designed to do. How about this? Don't have intimate relations with people who are in, in intimate relationships with other people. It's not going to go over well. It's going to affect your relationship with, with them. See, this is just good practical advice. This is what law is designed to do, is to help people to live together and to be healthy and so on. So a lot of mundane requirements designed to build a new society. There are also things of, regarding religious practices. This is one of my favorites. Once a year, as a community, uh, be reflective on all the wrongs that you've done during the, the year and acknowledge where you were wrong in those things. Isn't that a great idea? Come together, be thoughtful. Don't eat for 25 hours. You don't eat, and all you're doing is just being reflective on the ways in which maybe you've hurt yourself, maybe which you've hurt other people, maybe you've even interfered with your relationship with God. Be reflective on those things. Great, great uh, practical counsel in the law. That's what a good law is for. And so these laws were effective. The, uh, the Israelites of uh, Jesus' day, they uh, had, had gone through, again, 1,500 years of history, and during that time they had thrived, they had created their own uh, society, they had created their own art, they had great uh, history in, in, in uh, economics and government and in, in their law system, it worked. The law was effective. And at the heart of the law was a, a, a very particular law, the Ten Commandments. And so at the heart of the bigger law was this Ten Commandments, and at the heart of the Ten Commandments was the idea of the seventh-day Sabbath. It's right there in the middle of the law, the fourth commandment. It ties two parts of the commandments uh, together. And so the heart of the law is the Ten, is the ten Commandments, so the heart of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was this incredibly unique marker for the Israelite community, the Jewish community, especially in the first 
century because by that time, the, the Jewish nation, which had thrived on its own, had now been in, in, incorporated into the much larger uh, Roman world, it had been assimilated into the much larger Roman world and culture. And so, of course, the Roman culture didn't have the idea of a seven-day Sabbath. They had their own set of rituals going on and so on. But they did already have a society that, that actually penetrated much of, of the first-century Jewish uh, culture as well. Uh, with that said, the idea of Sabbath was unique. It just stood out. The, the, the first-century Israelites were, were the ones who were really practicing this idea of taking one day every seven days and coming together and uh, worshiping, and so it was a big deal. It was a unique marker that made them stand out in a world that was doing something completely uh, different. And so it is with considerable consternation to the community leaders who felt like it was their job to keep their culture alive and well, and they felt like they were uh, uh, assigned the task of conserving their culture, that Jesus, a Jewish man who was gaining considerable attention as a miracle worker, a prophet, and who was also being proposed by many people as the one who was prophesied to reestablish Israel as a sovereign state, that he would so willfully ignore the traditional interpretation of appropriate Sabbath observance. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, we read 9, so we're going back to 1. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. Uh, at the time, Jesus went through some grain fields on the Sabbath. So Jesus is out on a nice Sabbath walk, and he has his, his crew with him, his, his disciples. And his disciples were hungry. And so they began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them, and when the, the religious leaders of the day saw this, because they were keeping their eye on Jesus and his group, uh, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, there is nowhere in the, in the law, officially in the law, that it says that you cannot you know, eat grain from a, a field while you're walking on Sabbath afternoon. It doesn't say that, but they, so they were... They were taking the law, and, and as had happened by that time, that, that, that law was protecting them in so many cultural ways that they wanted to, to protect the law itself, and so they kind of built up these other things that you could or couldn't do, so you didn't even get close down to, to interfering with things like the, the Sabbath, and so they had interpreted, you just can't do that because you'd be in danger of interfering with our thing, our unique uh, thing, and so they call out Jesus on this, and so... Uh, by the, by the first century, this is just how things were, were working. These uh, restrictions had built up over the original law to make it even more complex and more uh, challenging, and so Jesus is, is, is interacting in this environment. So this leads us to our text of emphasis today, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9, where we again see Jesus' Sabbath observance creating some controversy. So going on from that place, it says he went into the local synagogue. Now the synagogue was not only a place of worship, but it was a place of gathering for the community. In fact, if you wanted to, to or if, if, if you were going to build your, your, your culture, your, your society, 
uh, having a, a central meeting place was important toward that. And so you had synagogues all through the land in which uh, the Israelites lived. It was a place where you came together for religious instruction, but it was also like a community center. And so uh, we're told that uh, Jesus went into a local synagogue and he saw a man with a shriveled hand looking for a reason, we're told, to bring charges against Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So the religious leaders, the self-proclaimed protectors of the law, were looking for a reason to get Jesus arrested. That's the implication of this. And they knew that they could probably get him on the Sabbath observance because they recognized that he was pretty non-traditional when it came to Sabbath observance. So trying to find a way, how are we going to get Jesus arrested? Well, Sabbath observance, I mean, did you see him out in that field and his disciples were just Wow, they're just crazy. They're picking, picking wheat and they were putting it in their mouth. Can you believe that? Okay, well, let's, let's follow him. Oh, he's going to the synagogue. I know that there's a guy there and he's got a shriveled hand and, and, uh, and he, he can't do anything with a hand and Jesus is probably going to try to heal him. And so they went and they asked, they inspired this. This is the implication. They inspired the healing. They said, hey, is it wrong or right to, to heal on the Sabbath? Now, I mean, I think you've got to probably, if you, if you are ever in a place and you see someone who has a, a, a physical issue, let's say like a shriveled hand, and you think to yourself, this is my opportunity to get my way. So, something, has gone, something has gone wrong in the mind, right? I mean, you're taking advantage of people who are uh, less fortunate, in this case, physically less fortune. And so this is exactly what's happening. They see a guy and they're like, we are going to trick Jesus. We are going to get him. Jesus is bound to heal this guy. And that will give us grounds to arrest him. And so this is our context today, that God has, has become man in Jesus. And he came to proclaim good news about who God was, because there were all kinds of misconceptions before Jesus showed up about what kind of God God was. Is he a tyrant? Does he care about humanity? Uh, did he create us just for his own pleasure and to tease us? Or, I mean, these are all the ideas that people have had about God throughout the, the ages. So Jesus comes to show what God is really like, and when he shows up, the people that he first come to reject him because he is messing with their cultural uh, practices. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, there is an element that we probably could relate to when it comes to these religious leaders. You know, as progressive as you may feel yourself to be in any one particular area of your life, we all have areas that we really don't want to mess with or that we really, 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 really kind of like or we feel like really define who we are and we really don't want those to be changed. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but I know there are areas in my experience that, you know, I would rather nobody mess with. I just like things just the way they are. Things that we don't want changed, beliefs that we don't change. And that the God of the Bible is inviting us into a dynamic relationship. A relationship that inherently involves change and growth. Now, I would suggest to you that actually any good, healthy relationship 
has to be prepared and embrace change. Because all of us are changing. If you are human and you are breathing, you are, 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 are changing, right? I mean, it's very, very difficult to live in absolute neutral, where you're not changing. And in fact, if you put your life in absolute neutral, you're probably changing. It's just going backwards instead of forward. So we're changing if you're alive and breathing. The only people who are not changing are dead people. And they're changing too. It's just they're getting more to dust. So everybody's changing. That's just the principle of the way things work on planet Earth. And good, healthy relationships change their dynamics. So for those of you who are in a relationship with a special someone or family members, you know that you can't, there's no, we can just stop time and say we're going to just remain like this forever and ever and ever and ever. No, because the person that you are today is not the person you're going to be a year from now. And it's certainly not going to be the person you are 10 years from now. So you're going to change your dynamic. And if a relationship is not changing, there's going to be trouble. You've got to be prepared for change. And so the God of the Bible is inviting us into a relationship that is dynamic, that inherently involves a change. And yet, initially, we have a very difficult time when it comes to change because it has implications for us. And so while Jesus' actions challenged the beliefs of the leaders in the first century when it came to their cultural uh, practices, he was inviting them into a relationship to learn and grow. That was the idea. Learn and uh, grow. This is the basic principle of how, how we as humans work. We're to learn and to grow. God gave us brains so that we can continue to learn, that we can always be changing. You can always be learning something new. You can always be picking something up. And so Jesus comes to help people learn and grow, but that can be challenging. And so this leaves us with a question, what inhibits us? What inhibits us as people from really embracing and experiencing positive, transformative change? Why does change make us so nervous? And I think there, there are a couple of answers. There are a lot of answers to this question. I've got three for you to share today. First of all, a change often makes us feel like there's a threat that we will lose control. There's a threat that we're going to lose uh, control. This was particularly true, by the way, of this story of Jesus. Uh, if you remember, for those of you who've read the New Testament before, if you remember uh, what happened after Jesus raised his friend Lazarus. So Jesus had this group of friends, and one of them died. And Jesus went after a couple of days to the, the place where this guy died. He was buried. And Jesus, we're told, and this didn't happen very often, but he spoke, and Lazarus, this guy who died, came back to life. And this was a big deal. By the way, this is one of those, those stories that just testified to the power of Jesus because everybody acknowledged, including people who did not believe in Jesus' ability as Messiah and so on, that, uh, that Jesus had done this. In fact, the people directly against him, were told, went back and were like, we got to get serious. Jesus did something that is unbelievable. And so we're told in John chapter 11 that uh, many religious leaders and community leaders had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did when he raised Lazarus back from the dead. But some of them went back to the Pharisees. This is one of the, the political, cultural, religious uh, groups at the time. And they, told, they, uh, and they were told the group what Jesus had done. He's raised this guy, Lazarus, who was fairly well-known in the community. He raised him from the dead. Everybody had known he died. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees 
called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is serious. We've got to get everybody together, call all the families. We've got to get this thing together. We've got to figure out what we're going to do with uh, Jesus. And so the chief priest, as he got the group together, he said this, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. What's the problem? Well, what's the problem? I don't understand what the problem is. This is he's guy's raising dead people back. Oh, by the way, he's also feeding people who are hungry. And there are people who are, who are sick and they get healed. And there's a guy with his hand and, he's, and, it, and it's, it's healed. So what's the problem? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. But here's the clicker. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You see what happens? We get very nervous about change because we feel like there's a threat that we might lose control of things. Now, ironically, it's things like, really? That's what you're worried about? They're going to take your... You've got this guy who's healing people and feeding the, the, the sick and people who are dead are coming back to life and you're worried that your temple and nation are going to get taken away? By the way, you've already been integrated into another society, another culture. What really are you worried about? We're just as silly. We're afraid of losing control. And this is one of the reasons why change is very, very difficult for, it, for us. It's really easy to talk about how crazy these uh, religious leaders were back in the first century. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, I'm scared of losing a control. And that inhibits me from really embracing transformative change. There's some things I just don't want to lose control of. Secondly, uh, we uh, fear and have a sense that there is a reality of uncomfortableness that's going to come with change. That we, if, if we have to change, it's going to require us to be uncomfortable. Change just requires some level of discomfort. I mean, the most comfortable thing is to cuddle yourself up on the sofa we, it was, remember, seven, seven degrees. Do you remember what it was seven degrees like a couple of weeks ago? Seven degrees. That's not fun. You know what you want to do when it's seven degrees? You want to cuddle. Whether it's with someone else or with yourself, you want to get cozy. You want to, you want to get a big blanket and you just want to find a seat and it's your futon or your, I don't know what kind of seating arrangement you have. You know, if you're, if you're a futon or the sofa or a, uh, what is the, the big bean bag now? The love sack. Does anyone have a love, love sack? I can't believe I just asked that. But anyway, <laughs> you get cuddled up in there and you get cozy because it's seven degrees. And when you get cozy, you know what the last thing you, you want to do when you get cozy? Move. Move. I mean, the remote could be right over there and something's happening on TV and you're just like, or on Netflix, who's watching TV? You're Netflix. The next thing comes on and you're like, can I really watch 24 in a row? But the remote is over there and you're like, I'm cozy, I'm just going to sit here. When you're cozy and you're comfortable and you're all afraid of the cold, the last thing that you want to do is move. And the reality is, that change requires us to be a little bit uncomfortable. Now, now, I got a little crazy myself, and I recognized this. And, and I said, well, you know, if I'm going to change, I, I'm going to have to get a little uncomfortable. So um, a couple 
this is like a month ago now. Is Lyndon here, Jason? Is Lyndon here somewhere? So Lyndon Doss, who's going to be back at the kiosk. You can connect with him if you haven't connected with Avon Hope. We got talking, and one day we got just said, you know, we need to start exercising. That's right, Geraldine. She's going to be giving out cards for personal training at the end of the service. Was that, that was Geraldine, right? Okay, Geraldine. See Geraldine if you want to, if you want to experience what I experienced. Just wait. Anyway, so we decided that, of course, during the coldest month in the history of New York, we decided we're going to start running at 6 a.m. Now, I got to give it to Lyndon because he was like, I, you know, that's pretty early. And I was like, I've got kids. I got to do it early. So whatever. So, so we got together at 6 a.m. on the coldest day was 22 degrees and we went running. Can I describe how uncomfortable that was? Probably not. Lyndon and I huddled cold, cold together afterwards, just in a, in a mass of trying, yeah, anyway, that didn't happen actually, but I'm adding that for drama, but we did run, and we did run, we ran on multiple days, multiple days in a row, and it was going so great, and then you know what happened? I had a giant pain in my back, because when you try to, 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 to do something that's different, when you try to change, when you experience change, there's also the danger that you could hurt yourself. So not only you'd be uncomfortable, but it might cause some pain in your experience. I mean, I was out of commission. Some of you know. There was two weeks ago I was preaching, and I was, you were wondering, why is Todd not moved? And, and it was, I was, it was just like this, but I was crooked because my body gets crooked like this, and I had a jacket on. I was trying to hide it from you, and I was just like this. And you thought, he, you know, he's always stiff, but today he's particularly stiff. It's because Lyndon and I went running. Anyway, don't exercise. That's my advice to you ever again. <laughs> if you see Geraldine, just run away. If you, if you ever, ever reach so, if you see ever reach so, this man, he will try to work you out. Just run away from him. Is Helen here? Run. No, they're all going to be giving out cards later for you to, to go to. Anyway, change requires us to become uncomfortable, and that makes us very, very uh, nervous. Finally, uh, we have a difficult time with change because of the fear of what change may mean to our relationship with others. I mean, it's one thing if change only affects yourself. But there is a sneaking suspicion that if you start experiencing change, how is that going to affect your relationship with other people? Other people that maybe you're very comfortable with or, or you just recognize that these things could be different. If I start changing or, or, or if they start changing, what's going to happen? And so change makes us in, uncomfortable. There's the, the threat that we're going to lose control of things. There's the reality that change requires us to become uncomfortable at some level, and it, it might even require a lot of pain. And finally, we recognize that fear could change our relationship with other people. And so for these reasons and many more, it's very, very difficult for us to be changed. And so when Jesus is coming and now he's, he's, he's doing things that are different and are going to require change and people to think differently, it, it was incredibly challenging to those people whose whole culture was rooted in this idea of Sabbath exists just like this, and this is how you do it, and if you do it any different than this, then you're not part of the community. There wasn't much latitude for a change, and yet Jesus is inviting them to understand a deeper understanding of what Sabbath 
it means. We can relate. Because when God confronts us with areas in our experience where we need to change, there is a reaction. I'm going to lose control. It's going to make me uncomfortable. How's it going to affect my relationship with other people? And so what do we do? God is calling us into a relationship that is inherently rooted in the idea of change and being uh, dynamic and, 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 and being transformative, and yet change is difficult for us. What hope do we have? How are we ever going to make it? First, it's important to just stop and recognize that while this is incredibly challenging for us, the idea of change, there is one who has changed uh, for us. You know, it has been said, I've heard a million times, you, God is the unchanging God and God never changes. And there is truth to that. There are verses to back that up. But the, the heart of Christianity is that no, God actually does change. We read in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, and so there is an unchanging nature of God, don't get me wrong. His love and care and compassion for His creation. His, his, his goodness, his, his, his rightness, His justice. These are unchanging, but there's also an element of God that absolutely changes, and thank God for that. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, we read, God, Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something that he had to hold on to or use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He changed by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He embraced change. We have a God of a change. Jesus was not afraid of change. He didn't hold on to where he was. He, he, he let go of things so that he could help our broken and hurt and challenged world. Jesus also embraced the reality of being uncomfortable. One of my favorite uh, stories of Jesus, and I've shared this with you a hundred times before, but it's in Matthew chapter 8, and you know, Jesus has become popular now, and people are like, I want to be a part of this. You know, how do I follow Jesus? And so a guy comes up to him, and, you know, after Jesus has spoken, we don't know exactly the context, and he's like, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to be there with you. And Jesus gives one of, like, the, 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 the greatest uh, recruitment speeches ever. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air, they have nests. But I have no place even to lay my head. I mean, that's a recruitment. I, just, I want to follow you. Now, you realize what that means, right? They're, the animals, they have more comfortable and cozy places to live than I do. So following me requires you may not know where you're going to lie your head. I don't have a home. Jesus embraced the reality of being un, uncomfortable. And for Jesus, being transformed and changed and becoming a, a man changed also his relationship. And we were afraid that if we're changed, it's going to affect our relationship with other people. I mean, certainly this happened for Jesus too, but he knew this was the only way. And in fact, his, his transformation and, and change enhanced our relationship with him because now he was one of us. 
So yes, being changed can affect your relationship with those you, you love, but if God's the one doing the change, it can be transformative in a positive way. And so the good news is, while we are challenged by the reality that change is potentially difficult, and it's going to do things in our experience. Jesus was unafraid of these things, and so Jesus has done what we haven't been able to do. And the good news is that as we recognize Jesus' work on our behalf and embrace what he's already done, he can start working in us to give us the peace about the change that needs to happen in our own experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing about Jesus. He says, if anyone is in Jesus, in other words, embraces what Jesus has done on our behalf, recognize that Jesus was not afraid of change, that Jesus embraced the uncomfortable, recognize that Jesus, his relationship with us has changed. If anybody embraces that, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. See, God starts doing his work in us to help us to change. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. As we embrace God's work in Jesus, God is able to open up the door for us to experience change as well and not to have to be afraid of losing control. Not to be concerned with our little uncomfortableness that may come in our experience and to recognize that the change that will happen in our relationship with others will ultimately be for our good and their good. God is calling us into a relationship that involves growth. You got to have growth. If you're not growing, you're dead, and God is inviting us into a relationship that requires us and involves us to grow, and we cannot be stagnant because if we remain stagnant, we are going to die. Now, I don't know what's going on in your experience right now, but I would guess that most of you are at the point where there is some change that needs to happen in your experience. Maybe it's career, maybe it's a relationship with someone, maybe it's something else going on. And you probably are feeling the threat of losing control. And you probably have recognized that there is going to be something uncomfortable about this change, if it's to happen, and you're afraid of what it's going to mean for you and your relationship with other people. The good news is that God has been there. He knows what change is like. He's experienced change, made himself nothing, a change beyond what we can possibly imagine. God knows what it's like to, to, to change. And he's inviting us into a relationship where as we embrace him, we can face changes too with hope and peace and even joy that he's going to take us through and that ultimately, ultimately, things are going to be better for it. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what change is ahead for you. I don't know what you're afraid of and, and you're just nervous about losing control over or whatever. But the good news is God has already been there. And as we embrace him, he's able to transform us and to alleviate our, our fears, to, to take away that, 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 that scared nature and all the implications of that. Peter writes this, talking to people who have embraced Jesus. Rid yourself of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Be like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk 
so that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now that you have tasted it, taste that the Lord is good. See, the the call to follow Jesus is a call to be transformed and to grow and to look at change and to recognize that God does great things in change. So whatever change you're facing right now, fear not. Embrace the one who knows what change is like, who has done what we cannot do. And as you embrace that, God is able to work and bring peace that you will never, ever find on your own. May we as a community, may you as an individual, experience the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from the risen Christ as he works in us to help us to grow and face change with hope. Amen.